Max did not have the easiest start in life. She struggled in school and failed to learn as quickly as the other children her age. By the time she was 16 years old, she was only a freshman in high school and pregnant with her first child, Brittany. Just two months after giving birth to her little girl, she dropped out of school. The record goes cold on Benita until four years later when she was 20 years old. She filed a paternity petition against a Waldorf man that year, asserting that he was Brittany's father. Then in 1996, with Brittany in kindergarten and the paternity claim still unsettled, Jax gave birth to Tatiana, her second child, which led to another paternity case. Jax was living with her mother, Mamie Jax, in Waldorf when she filed a claim in 1997 against Kevin J. Stoddard of College Park. Saying he was Tatiana's father, according to the court records, Stoddard acknowledged that he was the father in a letter to the judge. He wrote, I am fully prepared to financially support her. Stoddard was given visitation rights with Tatiana and ordered to pay $342 a month in child support, but quickly fell behind. Meanwhile, the court dispute over Brittany's paternity dragged on. Brittany was her first, first child. Yes. The defendant, who denied that he was the father, submitted a DNA sample, but Jax initially failed to give samples of her DNA and Brittany's DNA. After she failed to show up to a hearing in the case in 1999, the judge issued a warrant for her apprehension. On December 11th of that year, a few weeks before she turned 25, Jax was picked up by county sheriff deputies and jailed for two days. A day later, she provided the DNA samples. Tests soon proved that the man she had accused was not Brittany's father. The father eventually did turn up. In 2001, when Brittany was 10, Jax filed a paternity claim against Norman C. Penn Jr., who acknowledged that he was the father and was ordered to pay $388 a month in support. He also fell behind on payments. It's unclear how much money Jax ever received from either of the two fathers of her children. The story of Benita Jax, her daughters, and the way that their lives turned out is another heartbreaking example of the cycle of poverty. She's alone, she's struggling, but Benita's consistently described as a loving mother who doted on her children and did everything in her power to provide for them. And as luck would have it, things were about to change. It was about this time that Jax began a new chapter in her life, enrolling in Erin's Academy of Beauty, a cosmetology school in Maryland. Except for the break she took when her next two children, Nakia and Aja, were born, Jax remained in school as a student and a hairstylist until 2005. Most of the time when you're working as a stylist, a lot of your success depends on your personality and your and your ability to interact with customers. And maintain clients. Yeah, and develop relationships with them. Yeah. Stacey Lynch, who was the director of the cosmetology school, said, In this industry, it's all about personality, and Jax had the right touch. Many clients came to the school to have Jax style their hair. Among those clients was a man named Nathaniel Fogel Jr., who liked the way that Jax fashioned his cornrows. Not long after he and Jax met at the Beauty Academy, they moved in together. Their daughter, Nakia, was born in 2002, and Aja arrived a year later. So those were the two breaks that she took um, during cosmetology school. Okay. So four children now. Yep. Jax brought both newborns to the school to show them off, just like a mom. Lynch, again, was quoted in the press saying she loved those kids. We used to joke with her, you're going to have a whole cheerleading squad soon. After taking a break from school while she was pregnant with Nakia and then again with Aja, Jax returned 
and got her cosmetology license, eventually graduating in 2005. For someone to take a break twice, Lynch said, that means she was determined. So she left twice and she came back twice and she she finished. She graduated. But because this is Detective Society, this story does not have a happy ending. Unfortunately, the family would would soon fall back on hard times. They would end up in and out of homeless shelters, isolated and reliant on public assistance. But no one could have foreseen how quickly their lives would fall apart. The worst was discovered in January 2008 when authorities attempted to evict them from a home in southeast Washington. What police officers found in the house was absolutely horrific. The bodies of all four girls were found locked in two rooms upstairs. Their mother had been living in the house as her daughters decomposed above her. The deaths of Brittany, Tatiana, Nakia, and Aja resulted in an investigation that exposed just how these girls were failed at every turn. By their families, by their fathers, by their schools, and by the system. I'm Natalie Levy. And I'm Michael Costa. And this is Detective Society. This one's going to be tough. This week's episode is going to be a real bummer, just like the rest of existence right now. I didn't have high hopes, but any tiny sliver of hope I had was quickly dashed. That that was a horrific opening. That Let's get into it, I guess. Well, first, we have housekeeping. Oh, okay. On the bright side, we have a mother-loving giveaway. What, what? Giving it away these days? Well, we're doing a giveaway. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's two things going on. Uh, if you tweet at the Detective Pod on Twitter with your favorite true crime story, it doesn't have to be a murder. It can be any crime. We're going to pick the top three, and those will get uh, free Detective Society stickers and membership cards. And uh, we're thinking we'll do an episode on our favorite. Yes. Um, what else? Oh, we have a Patreon page. We do. Yep, yep, yep. Pimping ourselves out. Uh, well, some listeners have asked, and we finally got it up and running. Help so... us, we're poor. <laughs> Help us, we're poor. Um, so you can donate by visiting patreon.com slash detective society. Also, the second part of our giveaway is that our first $1, or I'm sorry, our first five $1 donors will get free stickers and Detective Society membership cards and a lovely murdery doodle by me, Natalie, or Rusty the dog, whichever one you prefer. Wait, Rusty's can doodle? I, 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 didn't I don't know. The I just figured. Oh, you mean a doodle of Rusty? I figured whatever, like whatever you want. Like, you want me to doodle Rusty? You want me to doodle a crime scene? You want Rusty to doodle a crime scene? We can make that happen. He's still working on laydown, so maybe maybe not a great idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, don't feel pressured to donate, but if you do, um, or if you can, please do. There's some pretty sweet incentives there. There are. There's, like, a lot of really rad swag. Um, I also put a lot of time and effort into the podcast, so it would mean a lot to me if you did. There are really, really cool rewards and goodies. Again, you can check us out on Patreon. But 
Also, if you enjoy the podcast, you can always rate and review on iTunes. We always appreciate that. It's quick. It's easy. It costs you zero dollars. Um, thanks again to Jordan from Texas for reviewing us and to Thrilling 333333, a million there, threes at the end. Was there a G end. in that spelling? Yep. Oh, so it's Thrilling, not Thrilling. Yeah. Th- thrilling okay. with a bunch of threes for calling us his second favorite podcast. Wow. <laughs> I love that. He's like making us work for it. Damn. Oh, God, I'm <laughs> come up now and get to that first spot. I know. I got to knock all things awful out of there. Okay. Um, so any other housekeeping? Oh my God. Okay. Yes. Big, huge monster shout out to Michael Nuna, I think is how his name is pronounced, who has been on a tear making these amazing like memes and images out of quotes from the show. Yeah. They are legit uh, the, amazing. The count, I was laughing. Yeah. People oh my God. Like I was that crazy was when so I saw that. good. I was laughing out loud. My favorite one was the one of like, about going full Batman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> about the Dante Stokes minisode. It's really freaking great. Um, do yourself a favor and you can check him out on Twitter at Deviant0N3 uh, because they are hilarious and perfect and make me so, so, so happy. Every time, like, I feel like we have the best fans. People are always tweeting at us and it, it like, I don't know. This has been a terrible time for the American people. <laughs> And so every time that, like, we get any, like, tweets or, like, people reach out to us, I just, like... She's running on this, people. It's her life juice. It it just, like, fills my heart with, like, all the happiness that I can't muster for myself. Um, yeah, so read us, review us, just tell your friends about us. Tell everyone about us. Tell the lady sitting next to you on the bus about Detective Society. Um, I love doing this show, and I really hope that you guys love listening, you true crime weirdos. Yes. <laughs> Michael, do you have any other housekeeping? Uh, not the, the, you put me on the spot here. I wasn't prepared for more housekeeping. I think we nailed it, though. I mean, the Patreon page is the big thing we were waiting to unveil. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Again, that's patreon.com slash detective society. I just don't think that Mike is in any hurry to get back to the story that we're talking about today. Oh, I am. Let's do this. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's get back to this true American horror story. Um, so let's rewind just a bit. By 2005, Jax had withdrawn Brittany and Tatiana, her two older daughters, from schools in Maryland and moved them into the district lines to live with Nathaniel Fogel, who she was moving in with on 3rd Street Northwest. But, and this is really upsetting, just a week later... Jax, Fogel, and the four girls moved into the D.C. General Hospital's hypothermia shelter, where they stayed for four months. Through the winter, I assume. Yeah. While they were there, the couple applied for public assistance and enrolled the older children in district schools. Apparently, five different D.C. government agencies had contact with Benita Jax, but every single one of them failed to follow up. And get a hold of what was going on in the household. In July 2006, three months after the family left the shelter, a nurse at George Washington University Hospital phoned the city's Child and Family Services Agency and spoke with a hotline caller. Fogel, who had been a patient at the hospital, had checked himself out, and the nurse was concerned that Fogel and Jax had substance abuse problems. Jax also told investigators that she had used drugs in the past but provided no details, so it's really unclear as to what 
was just problems with health that arose naturally and what were drug-related problems in the history of this family. The nurse told the hotline caller that the family was living in a van and Fogel, who at the time was suffering from nasal cancer, was rapidly declining. It was spreading to other parts of his body. The downward spiral continued into the fall of 2006 as the city terminated the family's food stamps benefit for failure to provide requested information. So they're living in a van and now they have no food subsidies. At this point, though, and this is what is really upsetting about this story, is that these four girls, Brittany, Nakia, Asia, and Tatiana, are really like flourishing like regardless of how hard their lives are you see pictures of them and they are such beautiful little children like they they have like these big apple cheeks and like why like they all have the same like smiles it's just it's horrifying they're they're out of this out of their control completely innocent in this situation yeah and and academically they were all doing really well reports from their schools at the time were So at Meridian Public Charter School, where Tatiana was in the fifth grade and Nakia was in kindergarten and Asia was, I'm sorry, Aja was in preschool, Vincent Blount, who was the assistant principal there, told the press they came to school together and walked each other to class. They were very loving kids with no behavioral issues, which is really rare for kids who are living in this kind of condition. Yeah. In one small lucky break, the family was giving a a housing subsidy that allowed them to rent a row house. But even though she had graduated from the cosmetology cosmetology school, Benita either couldn't or wouldn't work. Unfortunately, the nasal cancer was spreading, and Fogel, who was the only person in the family with any form of income, was growing increasingly weak. Fogel died February 19, 2007, at 37 years old. Yeah. And you have to assume that. I mean... Drugs are playing a role in either his deterioration or in her ability, inability to go back to work. If that was true about the medical reports you were talking about, indicated well, that there was concerns about drug use. Well, I I don't know if that's the case though, okay. because he's a thirty seven year old with cancer that is spreading. I'm assuming he has no medical coverage. Even if they were on drugs, it might be a situation where he's doing something to alleviate his own pain. Yeah, exactly. Nasal cancer and then what he died of, liver cancer, can be extremely painful. A friend told the press he was more of a breadwinner in the house. He made sure that they had food on their table and clothes on their back. He did home improvements. He worked at McDonald's or any job he could get to support the family. I think she couldn't handle things without him. She couldn't accept the fact that he was gone. I don't think she could keep it together after he passed. Jeez. I mean, because she has her first two kids, and the father is nowhere to be found. She was living with her mom, I think you had said. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, meets this guy while she's in school, and it seems like she's found someone who can be a partner, and now she's alone again. And from, like, all accounts, the time that she was with Nathaniel Fogel, no matter how turbulent it was, was the time that she had it most together. Yeah. Where she was able to take care of her children. The children were always clean. They were always dressed well. They were always fed. Like, no matter what was going on, it was the time where she, whether they were living in a van or not, was able to keep it together for her kids. As quickly as a month after Nathaniel died, 
Benita was withdrawing the girls from school, telling them that she was going to homeschool them. It's tough to understand. Nathaniel Fogel dies in February, February 19th of 2007, just how quickly and rapidly the decline happens for this family. And I actually, I want to hit pause here for a second, because if you're keeping a tally, there are red flags all over the place. Chronic housing instability, food insecurity, possible histories of substance abuse, and then she attempts to pull her children out of school after the sudden death of her partner. For me, the alarm bells are going off. Like, where's child services in this? Oh, that is a wonderful question. Are they reaching question. out? Are they, in, like, not, I'm not saying that they should have come in and taken the kids away already, but you have yet to mention a child, sa- like a, a child services report or a visit from child services or anything during this whole bring through all the housing instability you're talking about, through the food stamps and the not providing evidence for stamps and getting those revoked. It's, I mean, you alluded to it earlier. It already seems like they're being, you know, they're, they're being failed by their parents in a way, but the safety nets we have as a society are absolutely not helping the situation. So we're about, we're about to go down the rabbit hole of the different ways in which the system acted and did not act. We're going to see, I think there's the whole spectrum in this story from, engaged social services, people who are doing their best for these kids and complete write-off neglect. Incompetence and neglect. Yeah. So the reason that I bring up all these red flags is because any one of these issues should have prompted a visit from a social worker because the family was not living in a bubble. They were not unknown to city officials. They were in the system. Yeah. And with multiple departments, it sounds like. Yeah. The Jax girls were supposed to receive monthly visits based on their housing placement issues. They never did. The school system didn't follow up when the girls were pulled out of school. Police didn't fully investigate when they were called to the house by people who were suspicious of what was going on. And healthcare providers did not follow up on things that should have been red flags, like a nurse calling and saying, I think that there's a problem here. The family got uh, $1,580 in monthly rent subsidy, health care, housing at a hypothermia shelter when they were homeless, weekly food deliveries from a nonprofit agency, and admission to D.C. public charter schools. They were already clearly firmly in the system, but when Jack sought help with her mental health from a worker at a D.C. chartered health plan, the worker never followed up or made sure that she had an appointment or that her daughters were safe. She was actively seeking help. She knew that there was a problem and no one followed up with her, which is not to excuse what is about to happen, but I I just want to make sure that we're, we're giving enough context for how quickly the family deteriorates. I I don't think it's a matter of excusing anything. I think it's more a matter of this person's unwell and they are, and which is sometimes a rare occurrence, cognizant of the fact that they need help and an organization whose job it is to supply that help is not providing it because you alluded to the person she met with and never followed up, but the person works for a larger department. Yeah. She has a superior as well. Like it's not just on the burden of that one social worker. Yeah. You're talking about a whole department or the other examples you were giving about the nurse or the, the police visits and the neighbors and no one seems to be 
picking up the the slack here. Yeah. And I know like a lot of people hear this sum, fifteen eighty a month, and think like, oh, who that like what the hell other help did they need? But we're talking about Washington DC where fifteen hundred dollars a month does not cover rent. That's the bare minimum. It just doesn't it just doesn't do it. You're you're lucky, yeah. I mean you're getting uh you're getting one bedroom apartments at that price. Maybe. Like a studio. And she's got four kids. Yeah. And in yeah. addition to which, the fact that they all needed health care, the fact that children need to be fed. Like, I I, I think that right, she's not a stable parent. Like, yeah. You give that subsidy to stable parents who are trying to improve their lives. Yeah. And it's beneficial. You give it to someone in this situation and it, it's a Band-Aid. Yeah. If, if anything. It's like putting a Band-Aid over a waterfall. Like, it, it might help right now but it it just isn't it's not doing the long-term work that needs to be done there and and here's like another thing is it's not like people weren't ringing alarm bells so we mentioned the nurse earlier but Benita's relationship with her oldest Brittany had been pretty strained for some time so I want you to think about Brittany at this point is she she's 10 or 12 she's 17 or she's 17 now she's 17 when uh or she's 16 when Fogel dies and is in high school her entire life has been a string of turbulent yeah. relationships living situations of living from place to place multiple schools the only real father figure she's ever known has just died suddenly and she's 17 even in the best situations 17 year olds are shitty to live her, with her mom already had her at that age yeah so Brittany had a social worker that she met with at school. There was she was this woman named Kathleen Lopez, and Lopez knew that Brittany had a boyfriend. She loved school. She had friends, and that her relationship with her mom was not great. So when Brittany stopped showing up for classes, her social worker Kathleen started calling everyone she could. She was calling friends, relatives, and getting nowhere. No one could put her in touch with Brittany. Family members also had trouble getting in touch with Jax after Fogel died. One time when a cousin stopped by the row house where they were living, there on the doorstep, on their welcome mat, was a big gray cat dead. It was decomposing, and when she knocked on the door, no one answered. There were problems everywhere that you look in this story. So tracing back, authorities think that Jax began isolating her children from friends and family as early as April of that year. Fogel dies at the end of February. February. By April, she has disconnected Brittany's phone and has pulled all four girls out of school. By April 3rd, no one has spoken to Brittany again. That's when she goes completely silent. Through the summer, neighbors said that they saw three girls. So Brittany's gone then two, then one, and then none. On April 27th, so Brittany goes silent on April 3rd. On April 27th, Kathleen Lopez just shows up to their house. I mean, out of desperation at this point. She can't get in touch with her. She can't get in touch with anyone who has seen her. So she visits the house uh, with a police officer and another school employee, but Benita Jacks refuses to let them inside. Lopez says that she saw the two younger girls in the living room, but that they appeared completely unkempt, like not the way that they normally looked. 
And then over the next few days, Lopez made repeated calls to CFSA, which is a child welfare agency, as well as to the police, but no one took her fear seriously. Kathleen Lopez was convinced that Brittany was being held hostage in her own home because she knew that there was no way she would be there voluntarily. And from what we know now, she was not far off. She was 100% correct. Bonita Jacks began clearing the entire house of all furniture and threw away all of her daughter's clothing and belongings, forcing the girls to wear only oversized white t-shirts and white head coverings. At one point, she be- she took the Xbox game system that they had and just threw it out on the lawn and told the neighbors to have at it. The deterioration is happening so quickly and it is infuriating. I mean, we're talking about her days and weeks here. Billy is outraged Billy by this is story. Billy is outraged at this story. God, this is so fucked up. This is the fucking worst. I'm sorry, guys. This one's going to be a real bummer. It was later discovered that in addition to refusing to eat herself, so when Jax was, was eventually found, yeah. she yes. had dropped an alarming amount of weight in a very short amount of time. So in addition to refusing to eat herself, she was withholding food from the girls and forced Brittany to stay locked in a room upstairs where she wasn't even allowed to you to leave to use the bathroom. Like as I as I say this out loud, I'm getting like more and more angry at how little was done for these poor girls. <sighs> but Lopez in and like I thought that when I started a true crime podcast, I would become more and more angry at people and think like that you only see the worst in people but in every single one of these stories well there is some like beautiful bright light of a human being that's humanity that's like who we are as people right like you you're reading this horrible story and there's one tiny glimmer of a bright spot and you just try everything to squeeze and grab on to that one little shining bright part of humanity yeah. We <laughs> mankind is the worst and best ever. <laughs> at the same time and at all times. Um so Kathleen Lopez does not give up after this after this visit on yeah. April 27th. She keeps making calls because she's so persistent. Police sergeant James LaFranchise was sent out to... Oh, what a name that yeah, is. It is. James LaFranchise? LaFranchise. What a last name that is. I, I couldn't figure out if I was mispronouncing it, and so I'm just reading it the way that I see it. I love that name. That's excellent. Um, so he was sent out to the Jack's home three days later. She goes there on the 27th. I'm assuming she's blowing up the phone lines because three days later on April 30th, a police sergeant is sent out to the house where he interviews Benita Jacks in her front yard. Oh, my God. He does not even go inside. LaFranchise did not file a report of his visit until the day that the girls' bodies were discovered because at the time... Oh, fuck, man. At the time, it wasn't required. Okay. All that was required was for him to go out and visit, and he didn't have to file any kind of report. You also made the point about he didn't go inside, but given from the last interaction that the social worker... What was her name again? Uh, Lopez. Lopez had, um, when they went over, I would assume Bonita, you know, said, you want to come inside? Where's your warrant? And he said, well, I don't have one. And then, okay, then you're not coming inside. So according to him, he didn't any, he didn't see anything that would lead him to believe the girls were in danger, but he did not ever actually see Brittany. 
the girl that this call was yeah. made on behalf of. So why he thought that was a fine situation to leave, I don't know. I also don't know how much welfare training police officers received before this happened. Or even this particular officer. Or- yeah. In one of like the most upsetting details, it's possible that by the time LaFranchise visited the house, Brittany was already dead. And if he had gone inside or demanded to see her, the other three would have been pulled out of the house. Yeah. So, January 9th, 2008. Wow, so that's... Let me just say that again, everyone. The last time anyone sees these girls officially is April 30th, 2007. January 9th, 2008, after months of erratic and disturbing behavior, authorities finally make an attempt to enter the home and it's to evict them. It's because they haven't been paying their bills, not because no one's seen this woman's children in a year. Yep. Rent hadn't been paid in months and Benita had allowed the utilities to be shut off. So she was living through a DC winter with no running water, no heat, and no electricity. And people assumed that there were four minor beautiful, sad little children living in that house with her. With no furniture, because remember that she dragged everything again, outside. given the level that the city government has taken action, the only people who know that are the neighbors who now have new furniture. Don't say that. You don't know that. I was, I was just trying to bring any lightness to the proceedings today i know it's just it's just so upsetting like uh, okay anyway we're moving on people we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bulldoze through this story the first witness was deputy u.s marshal nicholas garrett garrett says that jacks answered the door wearing only a white t-shirt and a white head covering She spat on the ground and wouldn't let him or the other marshals in. After the marshals pushed the door open, he had to cover his face because of the stench. Once inside, marshals found religious writings all over the walls. Oh, my God. And, quote, it smelled like rotting meat, but they just thought it was rotten or spoiled food. No, dude. No. Okay, come on, let's go. As they went upstairs to oh, search... Oh, thank God. I, for a second there, when you told me the rotting food thing, I thought they were about to leave again. No. Oh, my God. I was <sighs> freaking out God. right now. <sighs> yeah, okay. So, great. Yeah, no. Crazy religious scribblings all over the walls and rotting food. That's enough to finally think... Well, no. Okay, that wasn't enough for them to think something was wrong. They were just looking for the rest of the family members to so that they them. could That's force right. them out of their I forgot. home. I forgot. I forgot. So as they go upstairs, the smell gets worse. They found Brittany first. It appeared that Brittany had been held hostage in her room because the door was locked from the outside with a key that Jax kept on the top of the door frame. A bed sheet covered a bedroom window that overlooked an alley and the door seams had been taped close. Feces and urine were found in the closet. There was no furniture in the room. Brittany's nude body was found in a pool of blood in the bedroom with a t-shirt placed over it. A knife was close by, so we think she was stabbed, but we don't know 
because, as the prosecution would later claim, Brittany's body had decomposed so far that it was melting into the floor. In another bedroom, the bodies of the three youngest sisters, each again dressed in white t-shirts, were lined up in order of age. A couple pairs of tiny little flip-flops were the only other things in the room. Each of the younger girls had been strangled. Aja, who was only three years old when she died, had also been beaten. So we believe that she fought her mom. Medical examiners believe that they had been dead for seven months. This is the better part of a year that no one has seen these girls. And no one lifted a finger, except for Kathleen Lopez, who is the only beautiful hero in this whole godforsaken story. So, wait, hold on. Seven months yep. is when the younger three were thought to have, how long they had been dead. Yep. I'm doing quick mental math here. It's January 08. The mm-hmm. last time anyone saw them was April 30th. That means she killed them that next month. Yeah. And do you have any idea when she stopped paying bills? Because it makes it sound like she was just waiting for them to come get her out of the house. Yeah. Or that she was so far gone out of reality that there was no... No, like, thought for bills, yeah. Yeah, because this is the thing. So, after Fogel had died, relatives would come by and bring, like, food and checks. And she would... She she was said to have gone to uh, neighbors' houses. But eventually, she just stops answering the door. She's in there. She's in the house. But no one's coming in or out. So no one sees her. No one sees her. No one sees the kids. No one knows what's going on. They just know that they haven't heard from this family. So where were we? The police investigation begins immediately at that point. Congratulations, fellas. You did a great job. I'm being very sarcastic because I'm very angry, but I actually love the D.C. Police Department. They they. Do as much as they, they can. They do good work, yeah. At least they do now. We only moved here a couple years ago. This is 2007. Who knows? Might have been a fucking hellhole. Benita Jacks repeatedly told Detective Homicide... De- uh, <laughs> detective Homicide Detective. Detective Homicide Detective. This week on CBS. <laughs> America's Most Watched Network. Benita Jacks repeatedly told District Homicide Detectives that demons had possessed her daughters and that she was confident that they would return from the dead once the demons had died. Jack said Brittany was possessed by a Jezebel demon and was the most difficult to control. Probably because she had the most agency and she was the oldest. She was the oldest. And she saw that that her mom was losing her fucking mind. Jax told police that Fogel appeared to her in a dream and told her that all four girls would be taken away from her to stop her suffering. That they that Fogel took them from her, but that they would be resurrected. Jack said Fogel that the two of them would be together again soon, but that first she would have to suffer. He said he was trying to protect me. Jack's corrected the detectives when they said that Fogel was dead, telling them, No, he just went to sleep. She said that the weaker the girls got, the weaker the demons got. So she that's why she was starving them. So she was withholding food and keeping them locked up in order to exercise these demons. 
Eventually, Jax put all the furniture outside because the demons had infiltrated everything in the house. And spirits and demons have a different smell, so little by little, she had to get rid of everything. I actually, um, you can look it up online, and if I remember, I'll go ahead and tweet it. But you can, uh, you can watch some of her interrogation tape afterwards. And there's eight hours of footage in total, but I, I couldn't find, like, everything. I could just find kind of clips and snippets. But this woman does not seem right. Oh, really? No. she oh. She's, like, completely out of it. And they put, like, um, it was clear that she had not been well for some time. But they put this big bag of, like, McDonald's food in front of her, and she's not touching it. She seems completely out of it. She's rocking back and forth, speaking in, like, a really, like, slow, soft voice. And she was arrested. Again, remember, she was arrested in January in D.C. wearing only a T-shirt. Yeah. So for the interview, they give her this, like, papery jumpsuit that it it just doesn't look right. And she, everything seems so emotionless and sterile. And she just seems – she seems like she's just not even there. Like, just completely gone. She claimed to detectives that all four girls had died in their sleep. <sighs> so, <laughs> as if everything that happened to these poor, sweet children was not horrible enough, the investigation and trial uncovered huge, get this, systemic problems with the way that schools, social programs, and D.C. police address domestic problems. And I, more importantly, I think the way they work together to address those problems. So what they found was that there was no coordination between yeah. any of these agencies. Basically, the way that it, it seemed at the time was that if if social services called the cops to get them to check on someone, they were just passing the buck and didn't want to do their jobs. Uh-huh. And if the cops went into a house and took the kids away, social services would come in and be like, no, you're being too strict or, or what, yeah, what yeah. It was just a really antagonist relationship in between all these agencies. Also, by law, very little was required in terms of follow-up. As long as you made the visit or wrote the report, you couldn't really be held accountable. Or in the case of the Officer La Franchise, if you decided one day, yeah, maybe I'll write the report now. The day that the bodies were found. Seven months later. God, that's what I keep coming back to. Though. Like, they... It sounds like he comes out to the house at the end of April and leaves. And her grip on reality is already gone by now because she's already gotten rid of the furniture. She's already you know, got everyone wearing white. She must think that like the end is here, which is why the kids die the next month. That she, even in her mentally degraded state had more faith in the system than the system warranted because they don't come back out for almost a year. Yeah. I I just want to scream and throw up at the same time. I feel like that. I feel like annoyed that that's not a thing that human bodies can do. What scream throw up? Because I feel like I want to do it all the time. Well, think about this. No, we're not going to talk about throw up. (laughs) Anyways, go ahead. Okay. So let's move into the trial. The defense, so uh, Benita had a a public defender. Uh, The defense argues that the only evidence linking Jax to the girls' death was that she was 
at the home when the marshals arrived. To be fair, that is true. But that's because the bodies of her children were so horrifically decomposed by the time that they were found that there was no physical evidence left. So, okay, and here's the thing with this. The the public defender's just got a job to do. It's their duty to defend your client. I'm going to assume that the public defender said we should just plead insanity because you are insane. And Miss Jack said, I'm not crazy. There were demons in the house. My husband came to me in a dream. We're not saying I'm insane. I am innocent. Which is why you have this poor public defender having to try to build a case. And I think if, if they had, like, pled guilty by reason of insanity, that I think that maybe the trial wouldn't have been such a spectacular thing in the city because it went on for quite a while. And it seemed like Benita Jax was very adamant that she wasn't crazy. She was seen, like, leaning over and telling her defenders what to say, writing them notes while they cross-examined yeah, that, people. I was just trying to – because I feel like there's an impulse to be angry at the lawyer for a second. And they – it's just your – it's like a doctor. You have a duty to your client. Even when that client is clearly out of their mind. At least the defense didn't put her on the stand. I'm sure she wanted to. Oh, I'm sure she did. But it wasn't like she was like a silent observer. Yeah. She was very emotional throughout the whole thing. At some point, the prosecution showed a sonogram that was taken when she was pregnant with Aja. Mm. And she busts out crying hysterically. Like... It is so hard to pinpoint where, like, at what point some very serious intervention needed to take place. Because, I mean, yeah, and there's still some of that, you know, popular hairdresser, sane, functioning person in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> so, one of, for me, one of the most memorable, like, little s- scenes that happened during the trial was her attorney, her defender, argued at the initial hearing that Jack's had nothing to do with the children's deaths and that she had previously been arrested for traffic offenses but had no criminal history and should be released to her mother while awaiting trial. Her own cognizance, yeah. Because she posed no threat to no anyone. No flight risk or anything like that also. The prosecutor flipped out <laughs> and asked the judge, how many bodies do you need? Yeah. Before you acknowledge that someone is a threat. And like this woman, Deborah Sines, who's the prosecutor, is like, very sassy and very lovable and i wish that i could do an entire Science. story about her because she's she's amazing she's still doing stuff oh yeah she's still a she's still a i believe she's like a district attorney or, or something so Jax is eventually convicted on three counts of first degree murder in the deaths of her three youngest daughters oh my god but was acquitted of that charge in the death of Brittany Jax because the judge said prosecutors had not proven Miss Jax had fatally stabbed the girl. Well, yeah, because her body had been left to rot for so long that you can't connect anything to it. So I had a really morbid thought when you told me the details of of Brittany's body, and it's that it's plausible that she left the knife in the room and Brittany took her own life. No. But... Like you, like you said, this, no. this is eight months. Like we have no way of knowing of anything. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know. That seems strange to me because her, she was also nude. But then maybe she wasn't. Maybe she didn't have any clothes with her. No. Oh, oh my God, this poor girl. I don't know how many times 
Mike like asked me from the other room what's going on because I I would sit in the bedroom and shake my computer and yell no at the screen while I was researching this. <sighs> you want to hear some real shit? Yes. Not even the prisoners in jail with Benita wanted anything to do with her. A woman who was locked up on a drug charge but then let go when authorities declined to prosecute her was interviewed by the press and said, this woman is crazy. She kept talking about her kids having demons in them. She smelt like death and said that it was an odor so strong that she and other prisoners had to ask for masks anytime they were around her. Well, I assume, yeah, she's not bathing, going to the bathroom. There's no water in the house. How is she going to be doing that? Well, I mean, in prison as well. I'm sure she wasn't either, yeah. Uh, actually, I think the, the prosecutor, again, this woman, Deborah Sines, said it best when she told the press, nobody comes out of this courthouse happy. You can't bring these kids back, and you can't undo what the last moments, the last months of their lives were like. So that's the end. There is nothing good in this world. She's life in prison? Yep. It is all sadness and garbage. Oh my god, and I completely forgot to tell you guys. Ugh, this made me so mad when I saw it. I, I'm like literally shaking my fists right now. After all four of these beautiful angels were murdered, their families, the people who did not think to check on them over the course of the better part of a year when the, they were missing. Like the grandmother that's still around in Waldorf. They sued the city of Washington, D.C. and won $2.6 million in damages because the city failed to keep their children safe. But I'm sorry. Keep an eye on your fucking babies. Keep an eye on your children. Your grandchildren. What is happening? And so, well, here, maybe here's a positive. You alluded to an investigation into how these agencies and police force work together. Yeah, people got fired. So hopefully we saw an improvement in that moving forward. I, mean, I yeah. The social service system is always bogged down. There's more cases than there are people to work them. But I hope that at least the situation you saw here where the lack of coordination doomed these children is something that's to it at least some extent been rectified, I hope, that someone like Miss Lopez in the future isn't just banging her head against a wall trying to get anyone to do something. They should have given $2 million to Kathleen Lopez is what they should have fucking done. She's a fucking hero. Keep an eye on your babies, people. I'm getting so mad. <laughs> but I, I, And I mean... To be fair, it wasn't like they just gave these people $2 million. It sounds like the money went into a trust for the education. So, like, the girls had, like, half-siblings yeah. on their father's side. So, it went towards their education and then the care of the elderly grandmother. And, and you made a point earlier that family, like, did come out and visit to, like, drop off food. And yeah, they, they point, did. At some point, Miss Jack just stopped answering the door. Yeah. So... I, I, I don't want to, like, blame people, but I think that... I There's only one person to, to blame, and that's not a person. It's mental illness. Yeah. I just... It still, it makes me so mad. Like, I just want to scream. You can, you can Google them. You can see pictures of these beautiful girls. They all, like... 
They look so much like their mom. Who are completely innocent. They're so innocent. There's just like pictures of Asia and Nakia holding hands and like hugging each other. There are pictures of of Benita Jax when she's very young, like caring for Britney. It makes me want to like go back in time and just like give these kids a hug. Any good news, Michael? Any good news in the world? I've been groping for the last 30 minutes of anything positive to like try to end this on. Uh, the sun's out today here in DC. We're recording in the in the in the in the early morning, early afternoon for the first time ever, not in the evening. No Congratulations, I- guys. It's all bad. No beer or whiskey or wine for us today. There's tonight. no beer or We're whiskey. We're drinking coffee. We're recording in the morning. Super Bowl Sunday today. Super Bowl Sunday. Who, who you got, Natalie? What's your prediction? Who do I don't know? Give me a prediction who and is score. Playing? I told you. <laughs> the, the Patriots of New England and the Falcons of Atlanta. Who you got? What's the, the score? Well, okay. So I don't know anything about the Patriots other than Tom Brady plays for them, and I don't like him and his suspiciously weird head. And I do know that Ludacris talks about the dirty birds all the time, and I'm a big Luda fan. <laughs> So I'm going to go with the Falcons. Okay. Score? Um, uh, 86. <laughs> You've seen football games before. It's not I, the NBA. I'm always so drunk, to be honest. <laughs> if I'm being forced to watch football, I just pound as much alcohol as I can so that the pain will end soon. Well, that's true. The, the The last time you were really forced to watch football was back in college, and and watching our alma mater play college football drove you to drink pretty easily. You're hungover by the end of the game. It's it was so football. long. It's a million it years. Games. Okay, so so you you finish your score though. So our, our so that our listeners can call their bookies and place bets. Eighty six to four. To four. Yeah, I I, I don't. 86 to 7. No, I love it. No, 86 to 4. Keep it. Keep it. Because that's a damn near impossible score in football. But I love it. 86 to 4. Atlanta Falcons beat the New England Patriots. What is that like? There's two safeties for the Patriots to get four points. Not four field goals? They're three points each. You're thinking of extra points after the touchdowns. Football. Catch the fever. (laughs) Whatever. The NFL doesn't let you bring purses into the game. They can all fuck off. Unless you want to sponsor Detective Society, then go Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We are uh, Florida natives, and, and uh, I mean, you don't support anyone, but technically I'm a Dolphins fan, I guess. Can I support a soccer team in American football? Get out of here, you communist. <laughs> okay, that's that's it for, for us this week. Um, again, if you ever want to contact us, you can email us at uh, detectivesocietypod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at the detective pod yeah, you can that's right. like us on facebook get on twitter get that get that contest get going get on your tweet game go guys we're giving stickers away and actually they're really freaking cool i designed all of it myself it's really awesome i'll tweet some pictures Her of other it. life she's a designer so uh, i'm a design strategist so i don't do anything no i do a lot but it's all weird guys it's all really weird they get on patreon look at the weird giveaways we have oh, for patreon. the different com uh, the different levels slash what, what are one of the, the the prizes you can win for being x amount of donor on patreon isn't there one like where we uh do we, do we let someone co-host one time or something no there's the brunch 
The murder yeah. brunch. Um, so yeah, I, I can tell you a little bit about um, about our giveaway. Oh, damn it, where is it? The murder brunch. I don't. I don't know anything about Patreon or how it works. I, I get lost on their website all the time. Okay, here here we go. So um, I named each category after a different gang of detectives. So there's Scooby Doo and the gang. That's a dollar, and those people are amazing. The first five one dollar donors get uh, free stickers there's and membership cards. You covered, yeah. The Jessica Joneses are five dollars a month, um, and like I'm sorry, but Jessica Jones best superhero show on television. She is something else. Um, so you get free stickers, a, det- a membership card, and bodio <laughs> bonus audio content. Um, so like awesome jokes that we tell on the show that are a little too dirty for. <laughs> For me to actually put online and, um, you know, me reading some horror fan fiction, which I think is great. Uh, the Sherlock's and the Watson's are $10 a month um, and they get all that stuff plus uh, an episode on the murder of your choice. Oh, that's what they So get. if you've got oh. a real juicy murder that you want us to talk about, uh, give us $10 and we'll do it. I don't even get to pick murders. No, Mike really doesn't. I've never asked. I'm, I'm a great, I came across one today, though. I'm a great wife that way. But I came across one today. You were like, whoa, that sounds. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, $25 a month. Okay, and this is where it gets really good. Um, you get all of that stuff that I talked about above, um, plus a handwritten thank you letter from me and an exclusive access to what I'm starting as a monthly murder brunch Google Hangout, where we all eat brunch on a Sunday morning and talk about murder. (laughs) Uh, And the Magnum PIs, you get all of that plus a t-shirt, you get to be on the monthly murder brunch, uh, and you get a free ticket to any live shows that we do in the future. So that's exciting stuff. It is. All right. Anyway, done pimping our Patreon. Um, like Look, I said, please, on my face. Yeah. I forgot what we were even talking about. <laughs> please rate and review. Um, and I don't know. We love you guys. You kind of you make my fucking day in a time of great darkness in American history. One I thing mean, makes the world better. <laughs> there's, there's just yeah, it's not it's not fantastic right now, but you know. Maybe next murder won't be as horrifyingly depressing. Maybe it'll still be a murder, though, I guess. Yeah, it definitely That's will be. True. Someone mm-hmm. still dies. That's true. Maybe it could be a bad guy this time. Kind of like Dante Soaps. Is that really? Oh, yeah, we could do a murder-free mini so to try to clear the air. Just a cleansing murder-free mini <laughs> Oh, God. God help us. Well, it's not great. It's, it is ruined. But it's not great. Not great, Bob. I'm Natalie Levy. And I'm Michael Costa. And this has been Detective Society. Bye, bye, bye.